All right, we are live, ladies and gentlemen. The New York Times stepped in it once again in regards to this Gaza hospital bombing story. This further reveals how broken our media system is. Uh, Worse, however, is the effect our media is having on social cohesion, leading to a fragmentation of society. This is uh, contributing to a reality where I feel like the left and the right are living increasingly distant universes where common ground is exceedingly hard to find. What does this mean for our country? And are there any solutions to this problem? We're going to be talking about this and more in episode 421 of the In the Tank podcast. All right, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me today, I've got the full crew. I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing good. It's uh, another beautiful fall day here in uh, Northern Illinois, although not so beautiful. It's been raining a lot, but uh, this is the great time of year to be living in the uh in the in the midwest and in the colder areas of the midwest because uh there's really nothing like the fall colors around here this time of year so it's, it's really pleasant very very poetically stated there also joining us we have justin haskins director of the socialism research center here at the heartland institute sporting a san diego hat what's going on sir that's right uh i'm i'm doing okay i'm doing okay i just um yeah, I'm not as prepared for the show today as I normally would be. Oh, God, um, here it comes. Is, you know, not not great. And, that, and that's because uh, here it is. Uh, I wasn't planning on being on the show. Mm-hmm. But then Donald uh, frantically texted me like probably 30 minutes ago. You know, are you coming on the show? Like, we desperately need you on the show. Like, if we don't come on the show, it's going to be like a total disaster. So then I called him up, tried to talk him off the ledge. Like, you know, I thought we agreed I wasn't going to be on the show. He's like, if you don't come on the show, this whole thing is going to fall apart. It's going to be a disaster. Like please last week, do this to me. And then he started like, you know, you can tell <laughs> choked up like a little bit. And I'm like, OK, OK. So here Justin, Justin proclaimed himself as like a truth seeker, uh, a truth seeker. All he cares about is seeking truth. True. I think that is the case, except for when it comes to me. <laughs> when it comes to me, all, all bets are off. No, it's also- all it's all true. Also joining us, Chris Talgo, editorial director here at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Well, Donnie, I think that's just a preview of things to come because it sounds like a lot of fake news. And I think that's going to be a uh, big theme of our show today. Boom! Chris Segway Talgo. That's what they call him. Uh, But before we get into any of that, uh, I do have to put that message out there to all of our uh, listeners, audio only listeners, special note to you guys that are probably catching the show on a Friday or later that you can catch the show a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time. We're live streaming on Facebook and YouTube and Rumble and Twitter, and you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Also, if you are an audio only listener, leaving a review on iTunes would be greatly appreciated. And if you are watching us hitting that like button, 
sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment under the video all helps break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. So, gentlemen, um, I was preparing for the show yesterday, and, and I had like a little opening chit-chat thing planned of just talking about how, uh, you know, is this speakership house, uh, you know, a uh, speaker of the house thing ever going to get resolved? And it looks like it did. Uh, so, Chris, you're probably following this closer than any of us here. What is going on with uh, with the old House of Representatives? Well, you know, when uh, when uh, Matt Gates and uh, a bunch of Democrats and a couple of Republicans got together and uh, ousted Kevin McCarthy, it, the first I was pretty you know excited about it, but then I realized, uh oh, it doesn't seem like they had a, a backup plan. And then we went through twenty something days of uh, you know candidates not being able to get to the threshold to become speaker. Well, finally that has happened, and I think that the latest. Uh, Speaker of the House is going to be a great speaker. He has got uh, conservative uh, credentials. He is not a lifelong politician, although he was a former lawyer. So I got to make him you know, a little knock for that. Uh, but overall, you know, he's saying he's saying the right things and uh, he's talking about fiscal responsibility. He's talking about conservatism. He's talking about going back you know, to the uh, founding ideals. He had a pretty decent speech uh, when he took the, uh, the gavel from Hakeem uh, Jeffries. So I'm somewhat excited. You know, obviously he's going to have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, we've got a uh, another uh, government uh, shutdown looming in a couple of weeks. So, you know, it's 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 a tough job. And um, I'm I'm glad that he's the one that, you know, is going to be in charge for the next year or so. Jim, are you uh, as enthusiastic about this? What, what do you what are your thoughts on all that? Well, AOC completely lost her uh, lost her mind when he was not oh, elected. Thing. So that's pretty much all I need to know. <laughs> that you know, mega maga uh, speaker of the house, you know, so called election denier and all this kind of stuff. So you know, if uh, if those are the accusations against him, I'm feeling pretty good about it. I just want him to get back to regular order, which is the reason why the big probably the biggest reason why Kevin McCarthy was dumped was because he had promised that we are going to run Congress the way it's supposed to be run, especially when it comes to spending, um, instead of just bringing up these ad hoc, especially funding for Ukraine, um, you know, Ukraine defense, instead of just bringing these things up, uh, just because the president wants it over and over and over again, we're going to try to restrain spending by at least going through the motions of regular order. Um, I have not actually read much about um, the new speaker. Um, I presume he would probably lean more in that direction than Kevin McCarthy was willing to do. So, you know, we, we need to get back to a government that is run smartly and run the way it's supposed to be run to represent the people and not just represent special interests and spending money like drunken sailors. Yeah, there's a bit of a conversation going on in our chat here. Uh, Gary points out that he thinks that uh, AOC had already lost her mind long ago. And then uh, Abel follows up with, uh, does she ever have one f uh, to begin with? So I think those are all questions that you have to consider, Jim, when you're <laughs> selecting your words when you're talking about AOC. But uh, Justin, thoughts on the whole speakership? Um, you know, how many days until they kick this guy out of this role? <laughs> 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 um, I, I have no idea how, how long he'll last. Uh, that's a, that's a good, a good question now that every speaker has to ask himself slash herself. Um, but I will say this, I have, um, 
I got the inside story on the speaker oh. uh, from some folks who uh, know him very well uh, and actually have worked with him closely on a bunch of different initiatives that Heartland is, would be in favor of. We'll put it, we'll leave it at that. Uh, but the bottom, the bottom line is this: um, he's a true conservative. Sounds like really committed guy, man of faith believes to his core that this is his calling in life that he should, that he's getting this opportunity to make a difference in the world. Um, obviously, you know, you never know with politicians what happens until they actually have more power because that's the way it always, you know, it, you often hear that so-and-so is a, you know, committed to the cause and then they get into a position of power and then it looks like, they're selling out every chance they get. So we'll see. But I was told by people who have actually worked with Johnson that he is a true conservative, true constitutionalist, really believes this down to his core. The it, I don't know if this is the exact quote, but if it wasn't, it was very close to this. He is as good as um, he is. At, he is at least as good as any other best option that you can think of in the house for Republicans. This is about as good of an option as we could have possibly gotten. People say Jim Jordan. I, you know, Jim Jordan came up in that conversation that I'm referring to. And I was told he is at least as good as Jim Jordan. You know, this is Jim Jordan may, may be more well-known and uh, a little more, um, uh, probably a little bit better at sort of a confrontational back and forth, marketing aspects of the job, which are very important. But in terms of actual beliefs, ideology, um, connections in the house, ability to get things done, he is as good as we could have ever hoped for. So, yeah, you know, really Justin, because yeah, go ahead. Ba based on based on that, uh, you know, I'm going to start holding my breath. I'm going to start holding my breath yeah, for something to actually get done. So you have given me that, <laughs> you have given I, me that inspiration. I, I, well, no, well, let, let me, and let me just, so now that I've said all that now, uh -huh. and keep in mind, this is what's been told to me. I don't know this guy, you know, sure. so I, I've never worked with him, but that's what was told to me by people who have now having said all that, uh, as I have been indicating in previous episodes, when we've talked about the speaker thing and, and elsewhere, ultimately, this, this, the speaker can only, the, the House in general can only do so much. And the, they're really, as long as Joe Biden's in the White House and as long as the Senate's controlled by Democrats, there is only so much that this guy can do. There's only so much that Republicans can do. And in a lot of ways, the speaker right now, from a, an actual legislative standpoint, there, it, it doesn't matter all that much. It matters for House investigations and things like that. It matters for some budget fights. It matters for PR reasons. It matters because you need a face fighting the president, an opposition oh. party, you know, doing that. But but ultimately, we're not getting anything. We're not getting anything great right. done. Well, like that I just happen. stopped. I just stopped holding my breath. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, final words on on this. I. I you know me when it comes to politics i check out uh you know let, let me join in the policy conversation but uh anyone else have any any thoughts on this further thoughts hopeful i, I would just say one, one one other thing so he came into the house in 2016 so he's a relative you know newcomer which means he hasn't been in the swamp for decades like many others and the fact that kevin mccarthy wanted this job so much 
that that is like a red flag for me. And the, and the fact that, you know, and, and I'm not just just saying that Kevin McCarthy, it's any politician who's so desperate to, to uh, attain a certain position makes me somewhat cautious. Uh, but the fact that uh, that Johnson, you know, it, it, it didn't fall in his lap, but it's almost like, OK, like we can't we can't find anyone else who we can agree on. So the fact that he wasn't actively seeking this, you know, for months, if not years, is a good sign to me. All right, cool, cool, cool. Well, we should get to our main topics. Is like, there's a lot to get into. Uh, this is uh, this is a conversation that uh, that I intend to get into on this podcast that I've had with uh, all three of you gentlemen separately. So I'm very curious of how all of these ideas and, and thoughts are kind of kind of bounce off of each other. But what I want to kind of start off the conversation with is this story from last week. Uh, that uh, story that was getting a ton of attention, and that was the reported bombing of a hospital in Gaza. Of 500 casualties where we, you know, we were told the New York Times ran a story with the headline Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital. Palestinian officials say more information has since come out that revealed that this was uh, fake news. The New York Times later comes out with a rare retraction that reads in part that the paper, quote, relied too heavily on claims by Hamas and did not make clear that those claims could not be immediately verified. You would think that those would be pretty important parts of the story, but yeah, you know, that's a, a page 12 retraction, you know, a week later. So, of course, you know, like with most retractions, the damage was already done. Anti-Israeli protesters, activists ran wild with this headline, uh, even certain representatives in Congress ran wild with this headline, using it to prove that Israel is just bombing innocent people indiscriminately. So, Jim, you were uh, a little heated about this story. Uh, what, what's what's going on here? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I was pretty heated about this story. Uh, the The New York Times is wholly uh, responsible uh, at least partially responsible for um, a lot of the violence and, um, uh, you know, people were harmed by this lie of a story. And they didn't, the the original story from the New York Times said that Israel, uh, it was an Israeli bombing that bombed a hospital. And the uh, they, they attributed that to Palestinian health officials. Um, there are no real Palestinian health officials. There are, there is Hamas. Hamas told the New York Times. That a that Israel bombed a hospital, killing hundreds. And what actually happened? It, it was a either a misfire of a rocket that was put next to a hospital by Hamas, or it was a rocket that Hamas fired from elsewhere that landed in the parking lot of a hospital and killed. And I just looked this up today. It didn't kill hundreds or five hundred. It killed between ten and fifty people. Now the the New York Times, who is supposed to, they they are. They're basically, well, when, back when I was a practicing journalist, whatever was in the New York Times was basically what the producers of every cable and network news show was going to cover and put on the news that day. So they were basically the assignment desk for the entire mainstream media. And, and to a large extent, they still are because there's there's a legacy media that one, and we're going to get into this later, that one half of this country believes without <laughs> any doubts whatsoever and then there's the other half of the country that sees the New York Times and the Washington Post and ABC News and NBC News and CNN and, and the cable networks for what they are, which are propaganda outfits for the left and the biggest peddlers of misinformation and disinformation in the world today. And so 
you had to go to a place like X, formerly known as Twitter, to read accounts of what was going on in that incident in Gaza. And you're not going to believe everything everybody says, but you're going to get a lot of different views and links to different to different things. You're going to have people who actually know a little bit about Gaza and how these attacks go and how that immediately, like within an hour, I saw tweets, people saying, I, I just saw a picture of the damage. One, actually, I saw a picture of the damage. It was a fake picture. It was not actually of the hospital. So all of this misinformation is going out there, again, pushed by our legacy media. But then they would end up um, saying, you know, I'm skeptical of this because if it was actual an Israeli mun munition, the damage would be much more extensive than this. This doesn't look that bad. But our legacy media have no skepticism at all. If, 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 if a story that they want to be true is told to them, they will report it as if it's true. And the New York Times and much of the leg legacy media in this country wanted Israel to be guilty of slaughtering hundreds of innocents on purpose, apparently as well. So it's extremely dangerous to have a, a media this irresponsible. And you know, in their own eyes, they're not being irresponsible. This is what they want to do. They want to convince half the public that what is not true is true. They, they peddle disinformation, whether it comes to COVID, whether it comes to Ukraine, whether it comes to Israel, um, and even things as like the, the budget battle here in the United States. It's all misinformation all the way down. And yet they're the ones who have been conspiring with government and with social media companies to silence people telling the truth. And so we live in a, in a world now in which it's, it's, it's very difficult to have conversations about what is actually happening in the world because half the people in the United States, if you tell them the truth, they won't believe you because the New York Times, the Washington Post and NBC News said the opposite, which is actually almost always turns out to be a lie. Yeah, Justin, I mean, I feel like uh, uh, mistakes, if you want to just call it that, and media reporting, it's like they, they happen, you know, and the retractions happen. Oh, we're sorry, we got this fact wrong. You know, we, we put... The number five instead of six. It was actually a number six. We were mistaken. But like this just seems like a really egregious one. It's like, you know, just just in their uh in their retraction, we're like, oh, we relied too heavily on Hamas. It's like, what? It's like, couldn't yeah. you have double checked your sources at the very least if Hamas was your primary source? And then to have uh, you know, like I said, certain politicians running around. Rashida Tlaib comes to mind. That's like literally at rallies talking about how Israel's bombing hospitals. And it's like, I don't even care how big in print you put your retraction, even if it's on the, the first, the front page of your newspaper. It's like that narrative has already taken on a life of its own. What are your thoughts on this story? Yeah, look, the, the media a long time ago, um, but it's gotten it's gotten increasingly worse has sort of adopted a position, the mainstream press, of the ends justify the means, right? And so I, I don't think they deliberately go out and try to lie. And I, I don't think that's necessarily what they do. I think there may be instances where that happens, but generally I don't think that's what they're doing. What they're doing is anything they see, any report that they get, anyone who's willing to say something that fits into what they want the ends to be that helps them get to the ends. They're just going to immediately fixate on that report it. And then they can always say, well, this is just what we were told. You know, we were told this and maybe we shouldn't have trusted so-and-so and whatever, but we'll just issue a correction. Um, 
but as long as we're as, in their minds, as long as they're moving toward whatever their end goal is, and depending on the situation, um, that's going to vary. It's okay. It's okay because ultimately the end goal is good. See, so from their perspective, from their perspective, the end goal is good. So if in this case, for example, Israel is a horrible colonialist uh, power that is um, oppressing, you know, innocent people uh, all over the region, but especially in um, Gaza, et cetera, and they're human rights violators. This is the kind of thing that a lot of people at the New York Times, not everybody, but a lot of them believe this sort of thing. If that's if that's the case, and and ultimately what they would like to see is Israel removed or the Palestinians having their own full-blown country right next door, well, then then that's fine. And if we, we're going to report things that kind of move in that direction. And then if it turns out that isn't true, we'll just say, okay, yeah, sorry, we got that wrong. Let's move on to the next thing. You know, because at the end of the day, for them, it's not about, you don't have to be right. And this, and this is the problem with journalism. When you when you start becoming an activist and you stop being a, a journalist, um, it doesn't matter if you're right all the time, as long as and you're right, the end goal is right. Mm-hmm. What you're getting, what you're trying to get to is right. And that's the position that they've adopted. And we saw that yeah. with Trump, right? Like they were willing to accept every wild conspiracy theory in the universe, including conspiracy th- theories cooked up literally by the opposition political party in unsubstantiated reports by former spies not from america they were willing to accept those rumors of wild rumors of trump with prostitutes and like the craziest stuff you could ever possibly imagine they were willing to do the same thing with brett kavanaugh i mean they were suggesting that he was like involved in gang raping women the, a, a guy who was about to become a Supreme Court justice, a guy who had been serving the, the public for de- you know decades. No one had ever made any of these accusations. They were willing to take that approach. They will do any, because at the end of the day, Kavanaugh's evil. At the end of the day, Israel's bad. At the end of the day, Trump is evil. And so it all works. It's all fine. It's all fine. We don't care. So they just play this fast and loose, like, with the facts because the facts don't really matter as long as the end goal is right. And of course the problem we have with that is not only is it, you know, I think morally wrong to lie, you know, throughout the course of the entire story, even if your end goal is good, but the end goal is not good. So then you have that going for you as well. And so this is just, this has just become what the media is in the West. It is not, the media all has an agenda in many cases, it's extremely explicit. There's very few real journalists left and journalists are now willing to lie and they're willing to admit that they're willing to accept questionable things in order to make sure that X, Y, Z terrible thing doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And we saw that with Donald Trump all throughout the whole thing, but we especially saw it toward the end when he was running for president you know, in 2020, we saw it, especially then they were very open about it. And there were lots of reports that came out after the fact, celebrating how the strategy worked, where they and big tech and other people all got together and said, we will not let Trump win again. We were too 
uh, willing to report bad things about Hillary Clinton in the past. We're not doing that again. And they and then they didn't. They covered up Hunter Biden laptop story. They didn't go down that road. They allowed all of these crazy conspiracy theories to fester for Trump forever. He got impeached multiple times. Like they just it's just that's what it is now. It is a propaganda. It, it's it's propaganda. Like that's yeah, it, that's what it is now. Yeah, I mean, so Chris, a lot of what Justin was saying there, um, you know, like had that that idea of confirmation bias. Like, if, if this kind of goes along with the narrative, yes, we don't have to double check it. It it goes along with the narrative, right? And and I feel like that is a very dangerous thing. But like, it's even more dangerous in this kind of uh, this like twenty four seven news cycle where like a story doesn't last for more than like six hours nowadays. So it's like you could be wrong. 12 times before you can fact check something that happened, you know, a day and a half ago. So uh, what, yeah, what are your thoughts on that in general and, and this story and specifically? All right. Well, first I just want to say a uh, brief history of the New York times during world war II, the New York times um, covered up the Holocaust. You can look it up. Mark Levin has written about this extensively. Many books have been written on this extensively. They on purpose, covered up what the Nazis were doing. They knew about the concentration camps. They knew about the mass killing of Jews. They buried it. I think they only ran literally like six stories the entire war about it. And it was on like page 31, buried under an ad. So so they did that. They Soviet supported Union. Stalin. They yep, supported Soviet. Stalin. They also helped um, uh, cover up the, uh, the Ukraine the starvation. They've also uh, supported Castro and they sent a team of reporters to uh, go and when Castro and his forces were still in the guerrilla warfare, they went there and they were uh, printing uh, articles about how great he was and I was going to bring democracy and he's this freedom fighter, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, in my opinion, for the you know past 75 years, the New York Times has a, a horrific track record of actually just, you know, not presenting the facts, which is what they are supposed to do. Um, I agree, uh, you know, halfway with Justin about, you know, how uh, reporters at the New York Times and other mainstream media outlets, um, they have an agenda and therefore, you know, they are uh, nudging the the news in order to fit that agenda. However, I, I have a, I think a more, um, you know, like a different take on it. I think that they are actually just flat out lying. I think they know better. I think that they are flat out line. I can't give you their motivation as to why they're doing it, whether it's ideological, whether it's, you know, their bosses are telling them to do so or whatever. And I'll just give you one quick example, because we were talking a lot about the, uh, the, the bombing of that supposed hospital in uh, the Gaza Strip. And I was watching CNN as the breaking news of that was coming in. CNN, it was um, Caitlin Collins uh, had two two guests on. She had a military expert and then she had a, uh, a Jewish or an Israeli uh, defense expert on. The, uh, the Both uh, defense experts, the Israeli and the U.S. Uh, uh, general, came in and said, you know what, looking at the crater, looking at all the, the, the fragments, this definitely does not look like a, you know, Israeli uh, rocket attack. This definitely looks like a and it was it wasn't Hamas it was actually uh, Islamic Jihad, who, uh, you know, they have very um, uh, basic, uh, you know, like rocket propel grenades that they use. And obviously what happened was they shot it from behind the hospital. They had all the data. They were they were they they had the video. They were time checking it. They were GPSing it and everything showing that it came from behind the hospital. And it was a dud. And then it landed in the hospital. And like Jim said, 
it didn't destroy the hospital. It landed in the parking lot. And yeah, you know, dozens of people were, were killed and injured. That's a terrible thing. But Caitlin Collins, as the uh, these experts were basically trying to explain to her, hey, you're jumping to a conclusion here. She literally just outright dismissed them and said, no, we can't we can't take that. We we, we, we and, and she was doubling down saying, no, this is the information that we're getting from. It was the uh, the Hamas uh, health minister who is not a health minister. He's a terrorist. OK, so she was taking the word of a terrorist, a mass murdering, insane terrorist over these two experts who are right there on air citing fact after fact after fact. I go into this in such you know detail because I think this is so emblematic of even when you, even when these people are are, you know, shown, hey, wait a second, what you're saying is definitely not true. They she still went out of her way to say, no, you know what? We can't we can't uh, verify all that. So we're going to go with Hamas's version. And they did that for actually an entire day until finally the U.S. government and President Biden and a bunch of high level ranking uh, U.S. officials said, no, we know absolutely for sure, 100 percent fact that this came from Islamic Jihad. Then and only then did the mainstream media finally say, OK, it looks as if this came from uh, Islamic Jihad and not from Israel. But you know what? The problem is, is by the time they did that, you know, days had passed, if not, you know, at least, you know, 24 to 48 hours. And a lot of the people, a lot of the people in America, at least a lot of the protesters, a lot of the you know stupid college students who are, you know, you know, off their rocker protesting this stuff. They they bought the story. And Donnie, you know, I told you, uh, you know, someone said something that, that resonated with me. It's lies take the elevator. Truth takes the stairs. So a lie just goes right to the top of the, you know, the the media environment and, and you know, the, the societal dialogue. But then it's days later, years later, and sometimes even decades later that, oh, actually, this is what happened. But you know what? People's minds have already been made up and people have already, you know, believed that initial lie. So exactly. I think it's just I think it's just it's very important. And, you know, a lot of these uh, news agencies, especially in today's 24-7, you know, media news cycle, they want to be the first. They want to always get to the story first instead of taking a much more methodical approach and saying, wait a second, we just don't know yet. And let's just let the story play out and let's check the facts and the figures. And then we will, you know, come to our assessment. They don't do that. And I think that that is a big part of this problem. And I can think of a thousand examples of that, you know, in the past five or six years where they yeah. jump on, they, they, they jump to whatever the, you know, the original story is. And then by the time the facts come out, they, you know, retract it, but it's on page, you know, 27 of the New York Times and no one actually gets that. Yeah, right, right. I mean, you could just add this example, which I, like I said, I think it's a particularly egregious one. Just add it on to the whole heap of crap that we've covered on this podcast for the past, I don't know, years, whether it's the Hunter Biden laptop story was just Russian disinformation right before the election, too. Or, uh, you know, you're a racist conspiracy theorist if you think COVID might have escaped from a lab in China or Trump was a Russian spy, and there's probably 50 of them that relate to Trump. I'm not going to waste time going through all of them. But yes, certainly there's like 50 of these that relate just to Trump. Uh, mostly peaceful protests in the 2020, uh, right? That was 2020. The insurrection of January 6, 2021. And it turns out that, uh, no, Hunter... Hunter Biden laptop was real. Uh, COVID likely did escape from a lab. No Russia collusion. Uh, the protests in 2020 were violent riots. The protests of January 6, 2021 was a riot at worst, but not an insurrection. All of these, not even to mention, just like the water carrying for the administration from uh, from much of the media 
Inflation is transitory. Bidenomics is working. Nothing to see here when it comes to the Biden crime family stuff. Uh, Afghanistan withdrawal. No, don't pay attention to that. Uh, any cognitive or health issues with Biden? No, you're just crazy. Don't don't look over there where he's shuffling down the sidewalk. No, no, no. That's that's not the case. It's like, can you even blame? Uh, can can you blame people uh, for for having like record low trust in the institution of media? And Chris, I know that uh, you wrote about this in a piece uh, from Town Hall. You wrote over the past 50 years, Gallup has tracked Americans trust and confidence in mass media. Quote, when it comes to reporting the news fully, accurately and fairly. In 1972, 72% of adults said that they had a great deal or fair amount of trust in mass media, newspapers, TV, and radio. Only about 6% said none at all. Today, only 32% say that they have great, uh, a great deal or fair amount of trust in the mainstream media, whereas 39% said that they have none at all. That is a gargantuan swing. I mean, are we really in like unprecedented times when it comes to mistrust in the media? Uh, Chris, I'll go to you uh, on this because you did write this town hall piece. Um, absolutely. And, and, you know, and um, you've got another portion up here. I think this is really interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to read here. Can you scroll back down a little bit? Uh, I mean, I can just kind of go off my memory here. So in, uh, in, two, in the early two thousands, you know, the, the, uh, p- people started to lose, um, confidence and trust in the ma- in the mass media. And I attribute that to their, uh, you know, beating the drums of war in anticipation of Iraq, you know, Saddam's got ma- weapons of mass destruction, Obviously, it turned out he didn't. You know, 60 Minutes did a big report on that. It was all BS. The person who they had uh, was actually a just, you know, he claimed to be uh, an Iraqi uh, insider. He wasn't. But uh, if you look at 2016, 2016 is when it really gets interesting. Because in 2016, we see this big uh, disconnect. We see uh, Democrats, and especially in the years after, their trust just goes way up. It goes up to like 80% or something. Meanwhile, Republicans just plummets. It plummets to 10 percent by 2020. But then if you look at independence, independence also falls off a cliff from 42 percent in just 2018 to less than 27 percent, you know, as of last year. So what we're seeing here and Donnie, you know, when you when you were taking off when you're taking off that laundry, that laundry list of recent stories in the past few years in which the media has been you know, proven to be wrong. The common denominator is in every single situation, they are carrying water for the Democrat Party. And it's never it never happens the other way around. It's never that they are, you know, are, are you know, quick to point the finger at, you know, the Democrats and then say, oh, whoops, we we're wrong. It's always a one way, you know, affair here. And it's I, I think that we would also uh, be remiss in not adding it's what they don't cover. It's not only just what they cover and how they cover in a super biased faction, but it's what they don't cover that also, you know, matters a lot. So the American people aren't getting the full story in any sense of the word. You know, they're getting a very biased, uh, you know, uh, flavor here. And I think that this matters, especially uh, because the media have a, a special position in society. You know, in years and you know de- uh, centuries ago, it was called the fourth estate. They have to hold power accountable. And if they have said, by and large, that we are on the side of this political party and we're going to do everything in our power to hide the bad stuff that they do and to promote the bad stuff that they do, but we're going to promote it in a good fashion, 
it makes it, you know, it, it's, it's very unsurprising why the people, you know, are, are, you know, thinking of the media in the way that they are, you know, in, 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 you know, 2023. Yeah. Justin, I mean, the lack of uh, trust in the media, like, you know, like that to me, like that's one thing. Uh, but then when Chris is breaking down the numbers and showing kind of the divide where it's like on one side of the political aisle, it's dropped down to 10%. Whereas the other side of the aisle is like pretty high, but the median shows an average just dropping across the board. But it's like that divide is the thing that's most concerning to me. Like if the New York Times and mass media in general, corporate media, whatever you want to call it, if they were like exposed uh, for having just completely just sold you a bill of mistruths and everyone was starting to lose faith in them, like that would be, uh, you know, a situation that obviously we should be concerned about as a country. But like it's even more concerning that the one side still kind of adheres to their credibility. And and I, we talked about this a little bit, but for the sake of the podcast, I want to I want to bring it up here. But, you know, it's just. It's just becoming increasingly so that the left and right are essentially living in two different universes. And I contend that the current state of media is, is largely to blame for this. It's like and you could look at a whole bunch of different things. I mean, a lot of stuff that we talk about on this podcast, climate change, you know, one side sees it as an existential threat. We're all going to die if we don't do something about climate change. Whereas the other side is like, no, that's just the government ginning this up as justification to control the population. It's like those two things like aren't even in the same universe, right? Trump, one side thinks he's a treasonous, insurrectionist criminal. The other side thinks he's an America first fighter of the deep state. Uh, one side sees America as an imperialist bastion of hatred and bigotry. The other side sees as a shining beacon on the hill for freedom. <laughs> you know, like we can go through all of these different things, even policy, uh, you know, stuff that's supposed to be like boring government policy, lowering taxes. So it's just, you know, letting people keep more of their money. No, no, no. It's greed and letting people starve. You want people to starve to death. School choice. We want to improve the state of education. No, it's a it's a racist plot to you know, do something or another healthcare, you know, we can't even agree on what a woman is anymore. So like, how do you think that we could like live under the same roof uh, when the, the two sides worldviews are so massively and increasingly divergent? That's a great question. <laughs> I don't you've know. Got, you've got about seven minutes. Uh, let me, <laughs> solve, let me solve all the problems of the world for you. Um, so ba basically, the, the problem that we have fundamentally, I think, when it comes to all institutions, because all institutions really beginning in the 1960s, there was some of this going on in the progressive era. But beginning in the 1960s, when hard leftists began that really don't like America in a lot of ways or, or, or and really don't believe in the Constitution and don't believe in the things that we all sort of as a country used to have in, in common, um, at least. Maybe, maybe we didn't practice it imperfectly, but generally speaking, Americans agreed the Constitution was a good thing, the Bill of Rights was, was a good thing, that individual liberty was a good thing, and they may disagree on certain economic positions and other things and the role that states should have versus the federal government. Like There were a lot of disputes that went on for a long time, but generally speaking, we all kind of agreed that the Bill of Rights was good, the Constitution was good. And then in the progressive era, you started to see the, the cracks in that foundation begin to occur, you know, and you could see it in Woodrow Wilson. You could see it in some others started believing 
in this idea that, you know, actually the constitution is weighing us down and maybe we could just reinterpret it in different ways. And then eventually you get to the 1960s and institutions start getting taken over by, by people who legitimately believe that America is a bad place. The constitution is terrible. Institutions are all in America are all fundamentally racist and it's all rigged against certain kinds of people. And that capital it's all a, sort of a plot of capitalism and and you know all of this kind of stuff and over time those people became more and more influential and powerful within institutions and then you wake up one day you know 30 40 years later and all these institutions are being run by people who were like in the black panthers and, and organizations like that like legitimately socialist people and you've got president of the united states barack obama you know who was who was trained by open marxists you know and now all of a sudden these things that just seemed like inconceivable are now normalized because the institutions are all on the same page. They're all being led by the same kind of people and they're normalizing these, what were thought of as just crazy views. And when that manifests itself in the media, in the mainstream press, at first it was just bias, like lots of bias. But then what it became is like an active effort to really undermine, you know, to to, un, to to just wage uh, ideological war against people who believe in sort of the basic foundational um, uh, documents and institutions of the United States, historically speaking. And once that happened, once that became the position of the media, um, it it caused this I, I don't I don't know an irreparable rift in society where you have now the people that that believe those institutions are becoming radicalized truly or radicalized and polling shows this that you know younger people especially now a lot of them just don't believe the constitution's a good document they believe the supreme court is fundamentally racist sexist institution they believe the constitution should be basically rewritten and thrown out like they don't believe in any of the things that we all sort of just used to agree on. And then we just kind of fought over the details of it. Now it's like, we know we don't even agree on the foundational stuff anymore. And, and, and the, and it's, it's all being driven by this, by this narrative that comes from the press and Hollywood and academia and all of these other, all working in concert together and what you're seeing in society really is this. People who trust institutions, generally speaking, are moving in the direction of the left because the, the institutions are so leftist. And then you have people who just sort of inherently are not trustful of institutions. I think this is just a, a truth about humanity generally. Some people are just born with a little bit more distrust of authority than others. And the people who are distrustful of authority, generally speaking, are now are are not trusting what these institutions say at baseline and they're much more likely to be conservative because they don't buy it they're at baseline they're skeptical of it and and so once you if you're skeptical at all and you start looking into it then you realize yeah these people are lying to me and I'm not going to believe them right and so what you're what you have is instead of a instead of a society that's like being drawn along along truly ideological uh, lines, which I think is partially true, I think the ideological lines are being shaped 
by by that problem by the by the it's really a the division is people who don't trust institutions versus people who do trust institutions and i think that a lot of that is just partially human nature and when the institutions were trying to be a little bit more balanced and they were trying to be no we're just looking for the truth you know and they were never really purely that obviously but at least when that was somewhat of a part of the mission statement then i think you had a more balanced society because you didn't have to you didn't have to divide along those lines but now you do now now you absolutely have to and and that's creating this untenable situation where how can you have a country where half the people legitimately like half of the well say politically active people who pay attention half of those people believe that you can't trust the FBI, you can't trust the CIA, you can't trust the mainstream press, you can't trust academia, you can't trust the president of the United States, tell you the truth, Elections. you can't count on Congress to get anything done, and then the other half thinks everything those people say is true and we should do whatever they tell us to the point where they could tell you, don't go outside for months because you're going to die and wear a mask everywhere you go and get vaccine 15 times and you'll be fine. And, and like, and, and I'm going to do whatever they tell me because that's trusting the science. Like that's the world that we live in. It is two universes because the institutions have decided to create that. And, and, it, and if they were just playing it down the middle, even a little bit, not even full blown, it's not possible to be perfectly, you know, uh, honest, I think it, it, for these institutions. But if they were just at least trying a little bit, then I don't think we would have that kind of division. So the, to answer the, to circle all the way back to the question of like, how do you fix that? The, the only way to fix it, the only way to fix it is to have institutions that are willing to tell people the truth, regardless of what the effect is. They just want to tell people the truth. That's it. As and now maybe they get it wrong, maybe they think something's true and it turns out it isn't true, but if they're honestly pursuing the truth, a lot of these problems go away. <laughs> and until we demand that, until until the until people demand that, the institutions won't do it because there's too many well, mo there's too much motivation, there's too many reasons for them to continue going down the road that they're going down. And it's 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 it's, it's catastrophic what's happening and in, and we're actually I think in a lot of ways, running out of time to fix the problem because I just don't think you can have a country over the <clears> long <throat> run when half the people live in a different universe than the other half of the people. You can't. You can't. Right. Have, we need. You, that's two. That's called two countries. That's not called. You can't have one country with half the people don't. It's never worked out ever in history. And that's well, Jim. That's Jim, I'm curious scary. about. I'm curious about your response to to any of what Justin pointed out, but I, I just and like speaking as a thirty, I don't know how old I am anymore, thirty four or something like that, thirty five, I forget. But uh, like I feel like I feel like this is unprecedented. Like I feel like there was no time in my life where it seemed like it was this divergent of perspectives it's like you had you had like the left versus right obviously for most of my life but like to the degree the vitriol that like we're experiencing now i just i don't know so 
fill me in. Maybe it was uh, maybe it was worse uh, for a period of time back when I was in diapers or something. But uh, I don't know. What, what's your what's your thoughts on that and anything that Justin had to say? Well, yeah. When, when, well, when you were in diapers, so say I'm 53 years old and I started my um, journalism career out of, you know, when I graduated from college and went to a first real newspaper in rural Pennsylvania. And uh, that was in 1993. And sitting there, don't, yeah, smile. Yeah, you you don't remember 1993, Donnie, you, uh, <laughs> at all. Uh, yeah. But I do. So that was 30 years ago. And on the table in the newsroom in the uh, at the Bradford era, which was the newspaper in Bradford, Pennsylvania, was a book by the Media Research Center called And That's the Way It Isn't. And it was a pretty academic breakdown of how mainstream, but back then we would call it mainstream media. Now I just call it corrupt legacy media. But how the mainstream media of the time in the early 90s, the New York Times, the Washington Post, all of the networks and uh, you know most of the cable channels, Fox News didn't even exist then, were biased in a liberal bent. And it wasn't that they were lying, is that they were presenting the stories in a way that always favored the left and Democrats and the way they wanted to frame a story and never the way a conservative would view these view an issue. Like for instance, you know, if there was a story about um, you know cutting the federal budget, every story was always how grandma was going to be eating cat food and this is terrible and we we certainly can't afford to cut like this. And any any stories that that talked about increasing defense spending, said that we can't afford to do that. So it was it was a bias, but it wasn't outright propaganda and lying and, and legitimately lying about what is going on in the world. And as Justin was going on in, in his uh, little soliloquy there, he was talking about how can we live in two separate worlds as a country? You can't really have a country anymore. If, if And frankly, one side believes lies absolute lies. And the other side actually has, they, they think critically and try to come to some semblance of the truth. Donnie, the list of stories you ran down from COVID's origins to the vaccines, to Russia collusion, to Hunter Biden's laptop, to inflation being transitory. In every single one of those cases, the people that consume conservative media or, or you know, follow conservatives on, on, on Twitter or X or whatever it is, um, and, and that are free thinkers and are skeptical, about, you know, of authority, which used to be a virtue in this country. Everybody who thought like that, who was on the right, knew the truth years ago. And it's only later that it kind of gets, uh, you know, leaked out, um, you know, what the truth is. But in every single one of those cases, people on the right knew what was going on in the world. And the people who are addicted to watching CNN all day are not up to date on what is actually happening in the world. Every single one of those cases, Donnie, conservatives had it right. And, and liberals and the left had it wrong. And my, my contention is that um, um, institutions like the New York Times and the Washington Post know that they are peddling in lies, in misinformation, but they do it because they are no longer interested in objectively reporting the news as it was the case, even though it was biased, when I started my journalism career 30 years ago. They are interested in promote, in in putting out propaganda in support of the Democrat Party, of uh, leftism in general, of Black Lives Matter, of Antifa, to the point where our media says that, well, Antifa can't possibly be fascist. It's in the name. They're anti-fascist. While they're out there burning, <laughs> burning neighborhoods and businesses in the streets. And, you know, one of the things that and I, and I think this can't be fixed, I, I think I think the legacy media is so broken, it's eventually just going to it, it'll just implode on itself. It has to. It just has to go away. You know, at, at some point, 
half this country has to realize that they've been lied to every single day for years. And, you know, I shared with you uh, Bari Weiss, who used to work uh, at the New York Times, and she famously left. One of the reasons she left, and you guys might remember this, during the summer of love, when cities were on fire and people were being killed and businesses were being, were being destroyed uh, and cities were on fire and autonomous zones were being declared in cities armed, guarded by armed insurrectionists. Tom Cotton submitted an op-ed to the New York Times and said, you know what, after all this, it's, it's getting a little out of hand. Perhaps it's time to deploy the National Guard to quell some of these riots. The people who populated the New York Times, both on the editorial uh, side and the news side, lost their minds. And they demanded that something be, be done. So the op-ed page editor at the New York Times had to resign. A couple of other editors had to resign. They had to publicly apologize and retract the piece and all of this stuff. For the pretty mainstream and certainly provable, provably necessary option of putting the National Guard out there to stop riots and destruction and death on our streets. And the New York Times, the people, the, the, the snowflakes that, that populate the New York Times, that was, a, that was a bridge too far. And yet the same New York Times employs a photographer in Israel who is objectively in public pro-Nazi. We, you can't fix this. This is, this is insane. And so, you know, a lot of us listening to this podcast and maybe on this podcast have family members who have for years just passively absorbed uh, the news from outlets like CNN and the Washington Post and New York Times. And it is really difficult to have a conversation with, with such people because they believe a ton of stuff that is simply not true. It is very difficult to have a conversation with somebody and when they believe in a completely alternative universe. And I agree with Justin. It is really hard to have a, a functioning um, republic, a free society in which half of the people and most of the people in power, by the way, in positions of power in institutions, believe things that are absolutely 100% not true. You can't set policy that way. You can't, um, you can't really govern that way. And it's increasingly difficult to even um, exist amicably when it's that way. Yeah, I mean, Chris, Justin kind of gave some insight into some of the kind of origins of maybe this problem. But like, I think another one that uh, is kind of more of a modern day issue is just kind of like the I don't know the overabundance. No, I shouldn't say that. Uh, just the just the abundance. I won't say overabundance because that has a connotation that I think that it should be less. But of just kind of like choice in the media, right? I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way. Uh, I'm not going to lionize like the days where we had three channels and Walter Cronkite or anything like that. But back in those days, it's like those three stations, whatever news existed in that that time. It's like they had to have mass appeal. Like we're trying to get as many people to to watch us as possible. Mm -hmm. go to nowadays where the not only is there a million channels but there's a million podcasts there's a million uh, uh um, you know websites like uh, all everyone trying to make a name for themselves on social media and like you could theoretically get your news from one of a million different places all of which are not trying to do mass appeal all of which are trying to just target like a very specific sliver of people that might be interested in the content that they're trying to put forward. And on top of that, we have social media and, and you know, the websites and whatever that operate off of algorithms that are trying to feed to you the news that you they would think that you would like so that they can garner your attention and all of that. So it's like we're 
it's it, you know back in the day we might have had echo chambers you you could argue that we had these these uh echo chambers but i feel like they were kind of like large and encompassing and then nowadays we have like a, a bunch of tiny uh very small echo chambers that everybody is in and then on top of that even back in those days if you had somebody that was on the left or the right the only ever time that they'd be able to express their opinion is in person talking to each other whereas now it's like you're anonymously hate tweeting somebody that you never even met before so it's just like we just in a situation where technology is breeding this like uh, this environment that's leading to like even more antagonism than I think was ever even remotely possible, even 20 years ago, let alone 30 and 40 years ago. And I think that that is at least part of what's leading to this like massive polarization in the, in the country. What are your thoughts on that? I think that there is an aspect of that, but I, I do want to just say one thing, a partisan press is nothing new. Cause if you go back to the founding days, the Federalists and anti-federalists had very opposing views and they back in those days, the newspapers were, uh, you know, an appendage of the party. So the, the Federalist Party had controlled newspapers spouting their, you know, talking points. And the anti-Federalists had the same thing. But I think what the difference is back then versus today is I think back then most Americans would consider both and then use their critical thinking skills and their educations to say, oh, I think this party or this paper is, you know, more. Uh, you know, truthful, or I'm, I, I'm, I'm, you know, more in line with what they are espousing. But I think today, due to the fact that our education system has been completely corrupted for so many years now, it makes sense that so many, uh, you know, young adults in particular are just are are just buying whatever the New York Times or Washington Post or ABC or NBC or CNN tells them, just hook, line, and sinker, because they don't engage in critical thinking. And here's a direct connection for from back when I was a teacher, when I was teaching um, high school, uh, government, American government and U.S. history, uh, the high school. And this was not just in my high school, but it was actually across the entire state of South Carolina. They had a contract with CNN Student News. So every single day I would begin my American government class and U.S. history class by showing them the CNN Student News. Keep in mind, this was back in 20, 2014, 15 in, you know, uh, when the uh, Trump uh, candidacy was, you know, still taking shape. And, you know, there were a lot of uh, things happening at that point in time. And I was just struck at how CNN Student News was basically, you know, uh, presenting these stories, like we said earlier, in, in, in a completely pro-democratic, anti-Republican, pro-big government, anti-limited government, pro-collectivist, anti-individualist, you know, uh, manner. And then, I, you know, I think that when these kids grow up, you know, they obviously, you know, th that has an impact on them and they are much more uh, able and accepting to just take whatever the quote unquote, you know, mainstream legacy corrupt media, you know, spews, you know, in that time. Um, I also remember that we were doing um, a project about the different candidates and Fox News at that point in time had a really good um, candidate profile show. And I would show that. And I remember some of the students just instantly, oh, that's propaganda. You can't show Fox News in here. But wait a second, I just showed you CNN Student News. Why am I not allowed to give you the other side of it? So I think that it's happening at a very young age where these you know, students are just thinking, I don't want to see the other side. I don't want to hear the other uh, you know, side of the debate. I just want to constantly you know, um, live in my own echo chamber. 
And I think that that is really dangerous. And I think just getting back to what you were talking about earlier, Donnie, about how we now have so many different sources to consume news, it makes sense that uh, I'd say young people in particular are seeking out news outlets that only reinforce their preconceived beliefs. And one of the things that I've always done, and I try to do this, you know, every single day, watch a variety of news uh, cable TV shows, go to a variety of websites, always read a big, you know, variety. Cause then I, then I can actually see everything and say, okay, based on, you know, my judgment, you know, my beliefs, my, you know, reasoning skills, I think that, you know, this, this way of reporting it is, you know, the most accurate, but I think that the vast majority of uh, young Americans in particular, and if you look at the, the data in that Gallup polling, they are the ones who are most likely also to, uh, to trust in the mainstream media. And I think that that is not, uh, you know, good uh, harbinger for the yeah, future. You know, and the, the idea of like the little echo chamber thing that I was talking about, it's like not even necessarily about like the, the news or the sources that you're getting. It's almost like a inability for everyone in the country to like kind of experience like a shared experience, you know, like if everyone's true, watching true. Walter Cronkite or something, you could agree with his point of view or you could disagree with his point of view, but you're still like basing the the conversation off of that bedrock of what, like what was discussed. Whereas like today, nobody's even experiencing that same kind of shared, uh, that shared thing one way or the other. And, and I've made this kind of analogy to probably all of you at some point, but it's like the idea of uh, like movies and TV. Where if you go like back, not even that long ago, it's like everybody was watching Friends. Everybody was watching Seinfeld. It's like everyone was seeing the new Star Wars movie. And everybody would talk about those things the next day at the water cooler or what, what have you. Um, and they would all have that kind of that shared experience. Whereas today, because of, again, the billion channels and million streaming services and the fact that you could watch shows that are a day old or 50 years old, it's like nobody's even watching the same stuff anymore. So it's like, but I don't know, think it, it's the sheer volume of choices. That's the problem. I think it's the lack of, um, you know, like national rights, R-I-T-E-S. That is more the problem. And I'll just use and this is kind of a, you know, not the greatest example, but Halloween's coming up. Okay, but when I was growing up in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, Halloween was like universally celebrated at all the middle schools. Everyone, sure. you know, had put on their costumes and it was a day of, you know, fun and celebration. Well, nowadays, uh, many schools are just saying, no, 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 you can't do that for equity <laughs> or for whatever reason. So that's just I mean, I know that's like a petty kind of like, no, you, you know, know what? Like and, funny and, example, and... but I think that it just goes to show that we do live in such a like bifurcated society. Exactly. And, and, and that's what I was going towards. And, and there's yeah. a there's a thing that I'm not going to get super into. But if anyone checks out the show notes, there's like an article. There's a report, actually, that's from like the Carnegie. What is it? What is it actually called? Counter Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. And it was a it was a, a report called Polarization, Democracy and Political Violence in the United States. What the research says. And we actually went through a whole lot of what the, the content that's in this. And I will warn anyone that if they do check this out, it's a very less. <laughs> Left-leaning thing, but I think some of the perspectives in there were pretty interesting. But in one of the sections where it was talking about kind of like solutions to this problem of, uh, of polarization in the country, they talked about the increase, uh, the salience of a common identity. 
And I thought that that was particularly interesting because that kind of goes along with some of these concepts that I've been talking about with some of you over the past couple of days, where it's just like, I feel like that common identity in the United States like is gone, like it is completely disappeared. And, you know, again, going back to the movies, it's like I grew up watching a lot of movies made in the 80s where it was, uh, you know, Rocky Four, America Good, Soviets Bad, or Die Hard, you know, John McClane Good, Terrorists Bad. Like it was very obvious. Hey, they weren't was... terrorists. They were bank robbers. Get it right. <laughs> well, I don't know. They did some terrorist type of stuff. But then it reminds me of this quote from Reagan. I have it pulled up here on my phone. And he's talking about this idea of a uh, of the unif the unifying nature of a theoretical alien invasion. He says, perhaps we need some outside universal threats to make us recognize this common bond. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And like, you know, I think that's kind of I taking th it to like we'd a... argue. I think we'd argue over how to fight them. <laughs> it's, it's very possible, but I, I think that there is that undeniable kind of vanishing of that common identity and it's just like i don't know like justin i'm gonna go to you i'm gonna use this kind of to wrap up the episode i'll go to you and jim on this but like a like do you concur that 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 common identity in the united states has completely deteriorated and b like is there any way at this point of of reclaiming it outside of an alien invasion so I, I think the common identity thing, I think, is absolutely deteriorating. It's it's not fully gone, um, but it is going away. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And the thing, the sort of shared experiences and all of that stuff, I think that's all completely valid. I agree with all of that. I think what's interesting, though, is um, the, the, the sort of underlying assumption of this part of the conversation is almost uh like it's almost like we should it would be better if we had it you know it'd be better if we had the shared experiences it would be better if we all thought of ourselves as being you know more united and 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 all of that and to some extent i think that that makes sense um and i think that we as a country kind of moved in that direction probably beginning somewhere around world war one, definitely within world war two from world war two on. Uh, I think that was the direction of the country. And I think what ends up happening when you have a country that's sort of focused on national identity and national and ha sharing common values and sharing common uh, experiences and then you that that keeps going up and up and up and up and up and all these technologies exist that sort of bring people together like television and cable television and movies and all the stuff that didn't really exist you know in the 1800s now you have all these shared experiences and national identity and then all of a sudden the technology reaches a point where now it's actually starting to tear tear away at that because now people have so many options and so many different forms of entertainment and technology, uh, uh, entertainment and shared and, and the shared experiences are kind of going away and, and groups are now developing and solidifying around common ideals and stuff. And it's eating away at this thing that's been developing over a long time. Um, I think all of that is causing lots of problems without a doubt, but I, I would challenge the underlying assumption that this that that is a good thing, that we want to have this shared sort of uh, we're all Americans, we're all in on this together and everything. To some degree, you have to have that in order to have a country. 
But the system of government that we set up was designed specifically in the opposite direction. It was with the understanding that we actually don't all agree on everything. But as long as we have the minimum stuff in common, we can have a country and we can have our own separate governments and we can have our own way of doing things and we can have different policies and in all these different places all over the country and yet still be one country. And that model, I think, works really, really well. I think that that's the model. I, I think when you had um, more shared experiences and people coming together in a more American identity, you saw the rise of uh, the national government becoming increasingly more powerful over that period of time. And now what's happening is we have people recognizing and realizing and leaning into the fact that actually we're all really different. We have all these different ideas and, and we have different interests and we don't have all these shared values, but our government is still making decisions for all of us as if, as if like we should all have the same values and experiences and that that kind of makes sense. And that, that breeds this frustration, you know, because you've got all these people that say, I don't want to live in the kind of world that Portland wants to live in, Portland, Oregon. Or, I don't want to live in the kind of world that Chicago, Illinois people want to live in, right? Or and, and then people in Portland and Chicago are saying, I don't want to live in a world that's like suburban Texas. Like, I don't want to live in that world. And yet that's the way the politics, the politics has become, has developed in such a way that that's sort of what's going on. It's like, what the the ideas that we have are Washington and the Supreme Court generally speaking they're the ones that decide for everybody right and so every election is like we have to uh, uh you know it's it's an ideological war and if we lose this war then you know we might end up having portland values imposed on us right or whatever and the same thing is true for the left like if they lose, then it's like, oh my God, it's like Texas values are being imposed on me and I don't share those values. And everybody feels that way because whatever you get out of Washington is not going to be exactly like your little group once like that's so nobody's satisfied. Everyone's unhappy. Right. And I think that if we could just get to a point in time where people said, you know, the problem is we can't make decisions like this. Like, that's not, that's not how America was set up. We are very different. We are a very diverse nation. We shouldn't and can't make decisions like that. People are not, they're miserable this way. If we could just recognize that we're miserable trying to make decisions this way, and that if Portland and, you know, whatever, wants to live the way they want to live, they can still do that regardless of who wins the election in 2024, then I think a lot of that animosity would kind of melt away because you wouldn't have that feeling, that sense of dread or that worry that whatever happens in this election, national election, is going to determine, you know, is going to impose these values on me that I don't have, which is how everybody feels every single election. If we could just move away from that and say, you know what, we don't need to all be the same. We don't need to all have this exact same values. That's okay. What we should be able to agree on, though, is we're different. And if you want to have a different way of living, that's fine. Let's make the decisions so local that you can live in any kind of community that you want with any kind of set of values that you want. 
And as long as we just have the very bare minimum in, in you know, shared, meaning like respect for each other's sovereignty and ability to make decisions, you know, basic uh, uh, like uh, constitutional rights, as long as we can agree on just the very foundational basics, I think that we wouldn't have that kind of division. We should just lean into the fact that we are different rather than say like, how do we mm -hmm. recapture this this uh, solidarity, you know, we need an alien evasion. Like that'll bring us together. And it's like, no, what it will do is force us to temporarily forget that we're different. And then when the alien invasion is dealt with, either because we've all been destroyed or we killed all the aliens, we're going to go back to remembering that actually we're completely different and we're going to have all of our problems again. And 9-11 is the same thing, right? Like 9-11, we all came together. We're all Americans. It's like, we're actually all very different it's just temporarily we forgot about it and we were distracted. And that's, that is not unifying. It's just a distraction. And that's, that's the point we have to fundamentally deal with it. And until the political parties of this country and until people, uh, I think this is desperately what we need. We need a, we need a, a big national political figure who's willing to come in and say, look, my goal is not to, force you to have my values or to force you to have my policies. My goal is simply to just let everyone in their own communities make decisions for themselves so that you can live in a, in a country uh, where your values are reflected by your local government and the policies in the place that you live until we get to that point where that's even on the table as a discussion. And it really isn't. Republicans say they're for states' rights and they're stay there for local, but but they're not. They 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 don't they don't act that way. Until we get to that point, we are never going to come together, and and the country is going to continue to eat away at itself because we do not share the same values, and the culture war is going to get more and more intense. And unfortunately, I think eventually we'll we'll just split apart. Like I think that eventually that's where we're headed if well, we don't you know, solve that problem. Donnie, can when, I, just, when, I, got, I got I got to jump in for a second here. So, but one of the things I disagree with in that statement is that the mainstream media um, goes out of its way to portray anyone who is on the right side of the political spectrum as evil, as terrorists, as quote unquote bad people. So really, they're 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 creating this antagonism, but it's it's only a one way street. It's never that, you know, the the conservative, quote unquote, channels say, oh, they're all evil. They all want to, you know, take away your rights. No, it's it's not like that. So I think that that's one thing. But, uh, you know, another thing that, you know, just getting back to to the to the mainstream media, you know, which is, you know, what this episode was was about the uh, portrayal of the events in Israel and Gaza right now, I think, are very telling. Go back to World War II. Go back to the Korean War. Go back to like any, even 9-11 for that matter. The media by and large, you know, had a moral stance of, okay, these are the bad guys and these are the good guys. Yes, sometimes it's a lot more gray than black and white. But could you imagine after Adolf Hitler invaded Poland that they would have said, oh, actually Poland deserved it. Or actually after, you know, Hitler invaded France and, you know, or the, the Japanese invaded, you know, China and all the islands. Well, actually, they kind of deserved it because, you know, hundreds of years ago, they did all this stuff. That to me is really, I think, what this is about. It's the lack of like a moral, uh, you know, radar that the the media is, you know, just constantly 
and you know, I, I I think a lot of this is through the matrix of the uh, the oppressor and the victim and all that kind of stuff. But really, I think it just boils down to they have a fundamental duty to report the facts. Yes, there is room for them to editorialize. But how about you just report the facts? Because if we can't even agree on the basic facts of oh, what, you know, what, what's happening right now in the Middle East or what's happening, you know, with Russia and Ukraine. Well, then, you know, then we're not going to be able to have any sort of societal, uh, you know, discourse on that issue at all. I, I, I agree. I agree. The, the, the issue, the, the, the problem though is why would, if you're the media, why would you report the facts if you know that reporting the facts might result in your side losing? Like, and, and that's the point. Why? There's no motivation for them to report the facts. The fact the, who cares? Like well, from their perspective, the it's fact like, that they've taken I, sides I is, 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 is obviously part of the problem. But also I think, you know, part of the problem going back to what you were saying earlier, because I agree with so many of your points, but if you've got, you know, generations of, of kids that are learning, actually America's bad, you know, the history of America is terrible. It's like th- th- that I think is going to make them much more, you know, prone to, uh, to, to to buy the lies that the mainstream media is telling them about the country. But if we actually had, you know, like, like we did, you know, a hundred years ago where th- th- most, you know, children learned about the facts of the founding, the facts of, you know, yes, all the, the, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. I think that that would actually help, you know, f- to, to actually, you know, have more uh, overlap among, you know, people on the right, on the left and independents as to, you know, where the country, you know, is and where it's going. One of our viewers, one of our viewers here mentioned in a comment, the, uh, the left's march through the institutions. And that is exactly what we are seeing here. Yeah. Is that the left, the left has actually finished their march through the institutions and the left is now using their positions of power within these institutions, both governmental um, media uh, culturally and everywhere else they have they have basically seized complete power without anyone really noticing until it was too late is to use that power to punish their ideological enemies which basically means punishing anybody who um was raised in an America in which you could disagree with each other but that we would hash it out at the ballot box in peace and not and try our best to not absolutely vilify and dehumanize the other we now live in a society in which the left's march through the institutions now uses that power to otherize everybody who doesn't think that way to the point where the media outright lies and knows they're lying. But it's, again, they will do it because it serves the agenda of the left. And they have also taken control of things like our social media so that those who, who might disagree and then eventually almost every single time turn out to be correct about, about what's going on in the world are silenced. And so I don't think we as a society can continue this way. Uh, and, and still have an American society in which people are free because we are being oppressed by the power of the left in all of our institutions. Yeah, well, I will say that when the aliens do attack, uh, I'm going to stand up and say that we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our independence. Day. And then Will Smith slaps it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Good yeah. point. All right. Uh, yeah, that is going to do it for this episode of the In the Tank podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in, even those audio only listeners that are catching the show probably on a Friday or later. If you are one of those listeners, please leave a review for us on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated. But you could also join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time where we are live streaming this on Facebook and Twitter and Rumble and 
YouTube, and you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at In the Tank Pod, or you can send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show by emailing us at the In the Tank Podcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on X, that used to be Twitter. At Heartland Inst on that same platform, and always visit heartland.org. Fantastic. Justin Haskins, same question. At Justin T. Haskins, everywhere. Fantastic. And Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Well, I'm a ghost on social media, so I don't really have much other than heartland.org. Fantastic. I refuse refuse to go into the social media world. (laughs) I'm going to create a social media account for Chris. Yes. Yeah, it'll be a Do it it on Parler, Justin. Do it on Parler. It's real popular now. (laughs) Yeah, I think Parler's gone, unfortunately. All right, thank Uh, you all. In in, in high school, my students did, did make a page about me. Oh, oh so good. I'm going to find it. Find oh, it. No, yeah. it, it. It's long deleted, I think. Oh, and last thing, if there's anyone that's still Nothing's listening to deleted. this, Justin <laughs> and I are going to be in Texas next week. So you're going to have Jim Lakely as the stand-in host. So make sure you support that. I will be gearing up for my appearance on the Alex Stein show, as Justin is very eagerly anticipating. And then the week after that, hopefully we'll be uh, talking about certain clips from that show. But thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. He's a lion, dog-faced pony soldier. That's the truth. That's the truth. I tell you.